Hello everyone, we are here today with another Song of Ice and Fire list build. So the last two podcasts we've been focusing on the new releases of the Pyromancers. I figured today we would make a list featuring the House Umber Great Axes, one of our other new releases for the month. This is probably one of the more straightforward lists that you can run. Uh, the Starks are a very aggressive and mobility-based faction, and this is just pushing that aggression up to 11. This is going to be a Great John Umber list, and it is as follows. Our commander is, of course, Great John Umber, Lord of Last Hearth. In this list, we have one unit of House Umber Great Axes with Bran and Hodor. We have one unit of House Umber Great Axes with Brendan Tully, the Unyielding Knight. One unit of House Umber Berserkers, led by the Great John himself, and then a vanilla unit of Umber Berserkers. Adding to this, we also have Summer the Direwolf, the care of Bran and Hodor. Our non-combat units are Caitlyn Stark, the Lady of Winterfell, and Sansa Stark, the Little Bird, clocking in at 40 points out of 40 points. So, I'm not going to get too much into Great John's specific tactics because we've had you know many discussions on him specifically. But the thing you need to know is that when you are playing House Umber in general, your guys are going to get stronger as they take damage. They're going to have very nasty tricks for when they're killed, and Great John just takes all those things and cranks them up to 11. So let's go down each of the units one by one, and we'll go by why they're in the list. Now, something to note in general is that every single unit in this army is House Umber. Uh, innately, because really I want to showcase the Berserkers and the Great Axes. That is technically wasting a small portion of Great John Umber's ability with his affiliation House Umber. So you could take a unit of Sworn Swords, for example, stick them in there, and they're also House Umber. But frankly, I wanted to go pure with these guys. But there's tons of different list building options you could have taken. So let's break down each of these units and show what they're contributing to the army. We have our first unit, which is a unit of House Umber Great Axes with Brandon Hodor, Protector, and Ward. So the reason why I have chosen Brandon Hodor here really specifically is because we're running a bunch of very expensive units at seven points each. Brandon Hodor is going to give us Summer the Direwolf, and that is going to give us an extra activation. Now, I will be one of the first people to say that um, activations do matter to a degree, but not as much as a lot of people put emphasis on. I mean, if you're like out activated by like double, Frankly, I don't really even see how that's going to happen in the current situation. That can be bad for you, but there's usually a reason for it. But frankly, if you want to run a just a small number of you know, very expensive units, you're fine because you've got ways to double activate things via tactics cards, via the tactics board, and other things of that nature. So one of the things is that while a baseline number of activations is a good reference to have, and usually I like to stick around you know, five combat units or so, uh, and at 40 points, if you have a little bit less than that or more, it's not going to make a big difference, guys, okay? Um, the ones who are really stressing that, like, oh, my God, you know, I have to have a minimal of seven to nine activations, otherwise I lose the game. You need to get some better tactics, man, okay? Um, anyway, uh, in this case here, I'm going against that because I do like to have around five combat unit activations um, at 40 points. And so that's why Brand and Hodor are in this unit. There's also the natural synergies that Brand and Hodor bring to the unit in the order brand skin changing and that's when brand's unit or summer makes a melee attack you deal the target d3 additional hits this synergizes exceptionally well with executioner's fury on the great axes which as you know is their attack that doesn't allow any defense saves so any additional automatic hits that you're adding to that attack is just going to be straight wounds getting through so hits on a two plus starts at six dice drops down to four dice when they lose a rank but it's four plus a d3 in this situation so anywhere between 
five to seven, because frankly on a two plus, you can assume that your four dice are on average going to hit. So you're just upping the damage with them exceptionally high. The other thing that's nice about them is that you have the Hodor once per game ability, is when you get charged, the enemy automatically suffers a disorderly charge and rolls minus two dice. Now, the benefit of that is that the Great Axes in general that Executioner's Fury, they've got to be engaged to do. So they're a good unit to take charges. When you put Bran and Hodor in with them, that's going to help them just go up there, sit in front of the enemy and go, hey, I dare you to charge me. And if they do, okay, cool. You can make that disorderly. They're rolling fewer dice. That means fewer you know, attacks getting through. And the damage is overall going to be hopefully, uh, hopefully mitigated. Um, consequently, you also can just countercharge them after that. I would say really countercharge. If they don't charge you, you can lead the charge in there and go in there with Mighty Cleave. A lot of people overlook Mighty Cleave on the Great Axes because they're really, you know, they're drawn to the Executioner's Fury. Oh my god, no defense saves. Mighty Cleave is super, super deadly. Um, eight dice down to six dice hitting on three plus, and for each failed defense save, the defender suffers one additional hit. So potentially, in best case scenario, this could theoretically cause 16 wounds. Um, it's not going to, but it could. And, you know, people always look at max potential. But the one thing I want you to realize that when you're playing the Great Axes, and I said this in the Great Axe um, focus, is that you need to know which attack to use for the situation. Just because you can use Executor's Fury doesn't mean you should. In fact, if the enemy is usually vulnerable and it has a 4 plus save, mathematically you're better off using Mighty Cleave. Executioner's Fury is there for really cracking through those tough defense guys or when you really need to cause a set number of wounds. I can get too much into the specifics there because, again, I did a whole podcast talking about these guys specifically, so you can listen to that to get some more insight. Now, uh, as far as Bran and Hodor go, again, they're getting Summer with them to get the extra activation. For the same points, you could also stick in Rob Stark, the Young Wolf, if you want to up these guys' mobility. Frankly, that's going to be a personal choice on you guys and... You know, really going to fit to your play style, whether you want to be a slightly more uh, speedy Umber army, or if you want to be a slightly tankier one, which is, I feel is the Brandon Hodor option. The start cards in general are going to lend you to have some natural baseline speed, so if you want to push that, then you can go with Rob. If you want to go a little bit more defensive, then you can go Brandon Hodor. You can even switch some things around this list and actually probably fit in both of them, but that's a whole other list. All right, the second unit of Great Axes that I have is led by Brendan Tully, the Unyielding Knight. Uh, he is in there because he is going to give them Stalwart, which is going to lower their uh, morale save to a 4+. Uh, I'm sorry, going to backpedal a second here and mention the third option for that other unit of Great Axes is also stick in Mage Mormont. You're going to lose the activation, but she's going to give you Stalwart and um, her Stubborn Tenacity ability. But more importantly, with that Stalwart, what that's going to do is that's going to make your entire army across the board have a four plus effective morale save, which is going to just create a lot of problems for if you're playing against Lannisters, uh, and also up your survivability by an extreme degree, because even though your defense is not that great, you're basically going to suffer no casualties, period, from morale on average. So that's another option. But anyway, um, Brendan Tully is in there for Stalwart, and he's also going to give them the hold the line ability, which is if this unit begins the turn engaged, the unit's melee attacks gain plus one to hit and roll plus two dice. So, again, going back to the two attacks that the Umber Great Axes have, Executioner's Fury is going to benefit from the plus two dice. The plus one to hit is wasted on that. But six dice means statistically you're going to hit five out of six times on a two plus, which means you're going to cause five wounds, which is going to be damn near half the unit most of the time. You know, great. You're also going to be able to add plus one to hit and plus two dice to Mighty Cleave, however, which is going to raise it to a two plus to hit 
10 dice slash 8 dice, and again, each hit is going to cause, sorry, each uh, failed defense save is going to cause an additional hit. So, absolutely fantastic choice to stick in there. Now, the whole thing with your great axes is that they're meant to just kind of absorb charges on the surface. Never be afraid to charge these guys because Mighty Cleave is just devastating on the charge. But these guys are really okay to go up and hold an objective and just sit there and dare the opponent to just come at them. So, these guys, a lot of people play them as just pure defensive. I will say the same thing as I have before of Lannister Halberdiers. They're offensive. They're an offensive unit that just happens to be able to be good on the defense. And that's how I view the Great Axes, okay? It is always better to charge than it is to get charged. But if you need to hold an objective, these options and the attachments you stuck on these guys make it so you can actually sit there and actually take the charge and then deal a ton of damage back. Plus, you have a bunch of Great John Tactics cards such as Lash Out, Berserker Tactics, that are really going to punish the enemy for coming after you. The next two units are two units of Umber Berserkers. Again, I've talked about these guys to death in their own, um, you know, focus episode. You guys know how these they operate, okay? These guys are meant to go up there. They're meant to get damaged. They're meant to kill guys. That's their whole purpose in life. Uh, your Great Axes are the core of this list, and some are actually, to a degree, that are meant to hold objectives. The Great Axes, sorry, the Berserkers are the ones that are meant to go up there and make your opponent dead. So that should be your big focus of them. Frankly, they're berserkers. Just send them up there. They're like little rockets that when they hit into combat, the opponent's gonna have to deal with them or eventually just get completely wiped out. So, you know, they're a huge, huge threat. Uh, one of those units, of course, has Great John in there. Great John has probably one of my favorite orders in the entire Stark army with Umber Rage, which is when this unit makes a melee attack before attack dice are rolled, the defender becomes both panicked and vulnerable. You've got the slight trade-off that your unit suffers D3 wounds after the attack is completed, but guess what? You're Berserkers. You only get better when you take wounds, so uh, that's a very small price to pay. And frankly, I think the D3 wounds is a very small price to pay, period, for making the opponent vulnerable and panicked. Those are just two fantastic effects because it's just going to help you chew through their armor, especially with the Berserkers who have Sundering innately. And then Panicked is going to help you bypass any of those, you know, uh, high morale enemies such as your mirror matching at Starks or soon to be the Night's Watch. Our two non-combat units that we have chosen in this army are Caitlyn Stark and Sansa Stark. Um, Sansa is in there because she is absolutely my favorite Stark in CU, being able to fetch out a card exactly when you need it, and a lot of uh, Great John's cards specifically are triggered You know, when the unit is destroyed, when the unit has suffered a heavy loss in combat, they're usually cards that you don't want sitting around in your hand because they do have a very specific trigger. They're very, very, very powerful, though. But again, you're sitting there waiting for that specific trigger to come into play. With Sansa, I don't really need to do that. Like, It's insanity in my mind to ever think about pitching a last stand because it's so powerful. But when I'm running Sansa, I actually don't have a problem doing that because I can just fish it out at the optimal time with her and then play it and get the effect. Caitlyn is almost a no-brainer when you're running Umbers because you've got two units of Berserkers in here. Berserkers can roll upwards of 10 dice when they're at the last rank. Caitlyn says that you always roll your highest value attack die regardless of your remaining ranks. So with her, you throw her on a unit of Berserkers, you're going to be rolling 10 dice. The fact that she removes a condition token is kind of just icing on the cake there. Really, this is just, she's in there for the Berserker synergy, and also synergy with the Great Axes as well, because while they don't get extra attack dice for being at lower ranks, every one of their dice really, really matters. More so than a lot of other units that just have generic attacks. 
because moving from four dice to six dice on Executioner's Fury is basically translating into two more wounds when you attack because you're rolling on a two plus and everyone is not allowing a defense save. With Mighty Cleave, moving from six dice to eight dice is the potential for four additional wounds given the uh, the cleaving effect of Mighty Cleave. So those are actually really big mathematical differences. And Caitlin is just the absolute like, number one pick for me is as far as NCUs go if you're running House Umber, followed very closely by Sansa Stark. The other options you have, you have Eddard Stark, who does contribute some healing to the army, but frankly, I like healing, but that's to me a little more defensive than I would rather go with. I'd rather just go full offensive with this army. This army is meant to go up there and just kill stuff, okay? Um, Eddard, I feel, is very good in a defensive, like, Tully-based army, or even a generic kind of a Stark army, but for here, I just want raw aggression. Roderick is another option to potentially stick in this list as well. If I was moving up to 50 points, um, and you're one of those people that really likes to take three NCUs of 50 points, I'm personally not, uh, Roderick would be my next pick because adding critical blow to any of these units is just scary amount of damage that they're adding. Would I take Roderick over Caitlyn or Sansa in this list? Mm, it's a tough call. I know that there's some people that would swap him out instead of Caitlyn because Caitlyn technically is early game, really going to benefit the Berserkers more. The Great Axes, while she does help them, it's, you know, not the best thing. Whereas Roderick, Critical Blow is just generically useful across all of your guys. That's going to be a personal, like, preference choice. Caitlyn does give you the ability to remove a condition token. Roderick gives you the ability to add a vulnerable token if you take the combat zone. So really, I'm going to feel that's going to come down to sort of play style. Then you've got your neutral NCUs and Varus and Littlefinger. I don't really feel either of them is contributing enough versus the uh, Caitlyn or, again, Roderick to warrant placing in. Because, frankly, if you put Varus in, that's leading you to more of a control-style gameplay, and that's not what this list is. Littlefinger, I really don't feel, has a spot in this list because you don't really need to do a lot of tactics board manipulation. And that kind of brings me to another point in this list, is that, you know, usually when you're making a list, you want to have some degree of... What am I going to be doing on the tactics board? This list here specifically almost entirely focuses on the battlefield. And the tactics board is a kind of a secondary afterthought. This list here just has every one of your combat units is such a nasty threat that a lot of the interaction of the tactics board is going to be your opponent trying to prevent your guys from killing them even further. Like leaving the combat zone open with this against this list is just a terrifyingly bad mistake. But at the same time, this list doesn't really care about the crown zone because it's useless to your opponent. And for you, you're not going to use it that much because you'd rather kill stuff. If your opponent's going to use the crown zone to hit your guys, again, you've got a four plus morale across your entire army here. Um, and reducing it to a five plus, okay, mathematically, you're not going to take any wounds. You have to roll snake eyes to even suffer barely anything. So it's a wasted effect. The healing zone, you... You know, sorry, the wealth zone, you don't really care about either because most of your guys just get better as they take damage. Now, obviously, don't ignore that, but it's a very kind of secondary thing to you. The tactics zone, well, you've got Sansa here to fish out the tactics cards when you specifically need them, so that zone's kind of whatever. And then you've got the combat and the maneuver zone, which, okay, those are good for most every army, but specifically for yours. So you get to double down and really focus on the zones that the Starks innately want to get to. But even then... Yeah, you're going to get bonus attacks, you're going to get bonus movements, but you have two very fast units with the Berserkers, and yeah, the Umbers can really, the, sorry, the Great Axes can really benefit from the Maneuver Zone, but 
even then it's kind of secondary because you know you get in combat round two or three versus you know start of round two yeah it's a nice benefit but it's not something you really have to go like oh my god i really need this so another benefit i guess you will if uh this list is that the tactics board you know it takes a kind of a backseat role to you just going and killing stuff um which sounds a bit backwards because usually you'd be like well why would i want to do that but here again you just have so many nasty battlefield threats and the fact that the tactics board you're not super reliant on it for anything that actually is going to add a level of pressure to your opponent because it means that you can actively block them from the things that they need when it comes to the tactics board and your guys are not going to suffer from it so that's actually where some of the low umber cunning comes into play with this list it's not just a generic meat grinder where you're just going to run forward and just kill guys i mean well it is to a degree but if you're smart about it you can actually do a lot of counterplay with this list that your opponent was probably not going to see coming because they're going to think that you're just going to brute force everything and that's one of the unexpected you know st surprise strategies that you can run here so even when you're running a list that is seemingly straightforward with melee and just features a bunch of units that want to go up there and just kill stuff there's still underlying tactics you know that you're going to be utilizing and this list kind of personifies that and it kind of personifies house umber as a whole and their mentality as they appear in the books and the source material you know it's often said that opponents will underestimate umbers because they think they're just these brutish mountain men that you know live up in the frozen regions of winterfell near the wall and the gift and then all of a sudden you know they get outsmarted by these guys and now they're all dead so if that's the type of mentality you want to take when playing with this list and um that's the type of army that sounds like it appeals to you. This is my recommendation. If I was going to move this list to 50 points, what would I add? Well, you definitely want some more combat units. Frankly, I think that one of the options to look at would be just sticking in two units of um, House Stark Sworn Swords. Honestly, two cheap five-point units. Move Great John to one of them so you get the House Umber uh, affiliation. And that might be the list to do. If you want to keep the elite theme, though, you can absolutely add in a, another unit of House Umber Great Axes or Berserkers, you know, to your taste, and then Rob Stark in there. Ten-point unit, but you're getting two more activations because you're getting the other combat unit and you're getting another Dire Wolf. Now, again, don't count on those Dire Wolves to do a whole lot because they will die fairly quickly against a smart opponent, but those are some options. So if you want two cheap combat units, you can add that in. If you want a expensive combat unit and a Dire Wolf, then... You know take your pick there but that's a very simple increase to 50 points and that's really all i would change all right guys that's going to do it for this one let me know down in the comments here what commander you would like to see talked about next or what general strategies and tactics you want to see discussed all right guys until then next time